reaching people inside and outside the church, whether, it had, whether you'd noticed it or not, the core values actually have a flow to them. It may not have been directly intentional to be that way, but they have a flow to them. They start with the idea of prayer, which is very individual, although it's, we talk about corporate prayer and individual prayer, but the idea of prayer and the activity of the Holy Spirit, they're kind of personal elements. So how do we bring those things into our lives? And then gradually we talk about more about community and the activities within the congregation as a whole, which this one does this morning as well. But we're starting to say, well, okay, but what about the mission of what we're about, which, if you noticed from before, is to reach the Lord Jesus Christ, to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ one person at a time. So there, does, there is some track in terms of what we're working at. This morning, we're going back to this, and we're talking about the eighth of nine core values. We're talking about serving and reaching people inside and outside of the church. And really what I wanted to do is give you two reflections of... <clears throat> Oh, there's two primary thoughts that I wanted to present this morning. One is why we, why we stay committed to things. Why we, and some of you will have seen this before, but why do we stay in the game? And why do some people leave the game? So we're going to be, I'm going to show you some research that was done in the University of Philadelphia on that. And then secondly, what is this congregation doing? What are we doing in terms of this core value? What does it look like? And I hope that will be encouraging to you. So, with that in mind, I've got to try to get this working at the same time as this, and we're here. So the expansion of that core value is, it's something we cannot ignore, serving and reaching people inside and outside the church, if we are to be like Jesus. If the church is to be representative of Christ's body on earth, we must follow the example of service and ministry set out for us that, that Kelly fully described last week in the, uh, primarily from the Gospels, but, and from, I think it was Second Peter or First Peter, but the book of Peter, the aspect of service, we serve because we're the body of Christ. Galatians is also another scripture we could consider, which would be, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And that comes from Galatians 6 and 10. So, with that in mind, I want to take you to this scripture. Completely familiar to you. Second chapter of Philippians. But it describes Jesus this way, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather this, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And I wonder how many of you last week when introducing yourselves in a business relationship or to your neighbor or whatever, and they say, what do you do? And your first course of announcement was, I'm a servant. It's just not the word we think of ourselves as or even proud of being or wanting to be proud of being. But Jesus took on the role of a servant. So with that in mind, I want to ask you these questions. I want to shift on from that. <clears throat> the question is, why do we stay committed or become committed to something? Why do you stay the course in what you do? Is it voluntary or is it imposed upon you? 
So the research in, in this, which is some years old now, in terms of why we stay committed, shows this. The first thing we do is we make a personal commitment. You know what? I came here this morning because I wanted to. And I trust that all of you did too, but some of you might not have done. You didn't really want to, but you came. But some, most, came because they want to. <clears throat> now, want... <clears throat> I'm going to need... Would you mind darling, to get a glass of water for me? Thank you. <clears throat> I want to is an internal choice. It's not a constraint. There's nobody... Well, maybe for me personally... Kelly or one of the elders might call me and say, how come you're never at church anymore? But let's work on the basis that I am here on a voluntary base. I want to be. It's an internal choice. If Patty wasn't here, I would be here. If she wanted to come, she would be here. It's on her own volition. Well, why? Why is, there, why is this internal choice exercised to the church? Well, first of all, the person... Is that big enough? Yeah, it is big enough. Okay. So I come because I want to, because I love Jesus. It's, it's, there's not, I just, I desire to, I want to, and I do love Jesus. And I want to be here because he wants me to be here. But it's also a relationship because I want to, because I want to endeavor to be a servant of God. Thank you so much, sweetheart. My, well, I wasn't being facetious. I was just going to say, my wife is a great servant to me sometimes. <laughs> but she is. She's not servile, but she is very much. So I want to because I want to be a servant of the Lord. And the third reason I want is because I want to because being a servant of the Lord to the world that he died for is my endeavored purpose and identity. All of those are free choices. But if you said, why do you do it? This is the reason I do it. For the person, for the relationship, and for the identity in Jesus. But there's more. We also stay committed to things because, ah, there's a bit of a constraint. It's internal But it's not a choice. It's a constraint. I feel that I should. And should is not a willing I want to. I feel I should do it. And I should do it because I've done it every year. Maybe you teach class. A part of me when I was writing this, I thought, you know, this is about the 10th year that I've done this class. I love doing this class. It takes a certain amount of time in preparation. Is there, and I, I was trying to ask myself, do I do it because I think I should do it or because I want to do it? How about you in the ministries that you engage in? Or the type of commitment. Surely a Christian's word is their bond. Like if somebody off the street said, yeah, I'll do that once in a while, you might not take them so much. But are we as Christians, is our, is our word our bond? And do you sometimes do things, not because you wish you want to do it, but you said you would and therefore you will do it? I know that there's times I do. 
I cannot get out. I am compelled to even do things I don't want to do. Why? Because I gave my word. So I am constrained. Or the person. You see, I, I kind of like Bob and Susie, and I just think that I should. I don't want to let the side down. So I participate in the ministry. But then there's another one. You see, sometimes we get committed to things or we commit to things in a structural commitment. And a structural commitment is external and I have to do it. There is an obligation to what I'm going to be doing and I can't get out of it. So, for example, I may have made not so much in in a ministry like this, but I put too much into it. I put my whole life into this church I'm not going to give it up now because I've just given it all. I've made an irretrievable investment. I don't like it anymore. I don't want it anymore. But I've got to keep going. That's not a very healthy commitment. But we have commitments like that. I cannot deal with the social reaction, the peer pressure of what is expected of me. If I don't show up, maybe one or two of you are going to be phoning me saying, Kevin, where are you? Where's your family? Why aren't you there? And I don't want to have to answer all those questions. So I'll just keep coming. I'll hang around, put my face on. Everything's fine. It's just too difficult to end, so I keep doing it. I can't find somebody to replace me. There's nobody who'll pick up the ball. I've got to keep doing this thing. I certainly don't want to be doing it. But I am externally constrained in what I'm doing. And lastly, and perhaps the most important, so if you, how many of you have seen this, me, me present this before? Some of you must remember. No? One, somebody, Nicola, you did. Did you put your hand up or were you scratching your head? Did, you remember? <laughs> this is right out of your field, you and Heather, and so uh, the study that was done, why people seem committed. But this came out of a marriage course, and this last one, is the foundation of all commitments that gets breached. You can have broken all the rest. You can completely hate what you're doing. You could hate your partner. You could want out in every single way of the word. But there is no AAA. But if a AAA shows up on the doorstep, it takes that long to break the commitment. Why? Because now there's an available, acceptable alternative. And we can do the same thing in church. You see, we keep doing what we're doing because, well, we really don't have any alternatives. But what if I gave you an alternative? What if you got a chance to take a job elsewhere? And you say, great, I can get out of here. But we do it with ministry. We do it with many of the things that we do. And so we have this We should have. These three commitment levels. We have the personal, we have the moral, and we have the structural. In our Christian lives, what we have to endeavor to do is find ourselves in, I want to. As I'm going to get to in a few moments, do we wait or are we compelled in the things that we do? So we move on. Reaching the world for the Lord Jesus Christ one person at a time. So are we kind of a watering can to the congregation? Remember what the core value is. The core value is ministry. Are we watering 
as we go through this life or are we taking from it? And so we might ask ourselves this. Are you a volunteer or are you a recruit? One freely offers to take part in an enterprise or to undertake the task. The other one is enlisted, conscripted, drafted. Do we wait, even as church members, even in an environment where we desire to serve, do we still want that tap on the shoulder? This concept of shoulder tapping, it's extraordinary in Alberta. I mean, and and, um, any of you who are in business to try to uh, bring people into conferences or anything like that, Edmonton is way better than Calgary at, at signing up quicker. Calgarians, these are very broad, this is a very broad statement, but the reality is Calgarians like to wait till the last minute. So do you, do, are, you, are you a last minute Calgarian? Are you a last minute servant that you need to be asked? Or are you tired of trying to be doing something and offering and finding places in which to serve? Are we volunteers or are we recruits? I have to keep this going because I don't have this. As you can appreciate, it's a different program and I can't print out well. It prints out differently. So, so the question is, what can I do? What can you do? Remember, we're talking about ministry service. What can you do within the congregation? And so I want to introduce you now. You might say, well, you know, I don't really know what goes on in this congregation. I know Kelly gets up sometimes and he tells us this and he tells us that, but I don't know. And maybe we've got three ministers, one staff, one staff member. What do they do all day? I mean, truly, what, what do they do and what happens in this congregation if you want to be a person that participates? And so I want you to look at the apples on the tree and we'll take a look at this one. We are the Calgary Church of Christ. This is us. What happens here Monday to Friday, Monday to Sunday? Well, what do we consist of? Well, if you consider for a moment, to begin with, this isn't a bug that they found in the apple. This is our congregation. Very difficult to read. I won't ask you to. Don't even photograph that yet because it won't. um, I can send it to you. If you want to see this, it's a PDF that I can send to you. But just take a look. So, in the simplest form, we are made up of members. We got together. We are believers. We're fellow believers. And some of you already have social involvements. You do things outside the congregation absolutely in your role as a servant of the Lord. And you desire to. And praise God that you do it because the world needs things done within its wor- this world. You, by your own election perhaps not your individual election, but the congregation did, decided that it wanted to appoint elders. Not all congregations have elders. You go to Nanaimo, for example. Nanaimo is a great congregation, lovely congregation. They are functioning at the moment. I believe I'm correct in saying at the moment, if I may be wrong, but they, they've ebbed in and out. They're a smaller congregation. They don't necessarily have elders. We had a period, some of you may remember, when in, we were at 38th Street. We did not have an eldership. We had, uh, for a period... There were only two elders, and we established a steering committee. I don't think. Is there anybody here that was on that steering committee? You were on, Richie. Yeah. And, um, 
So um, there was a steering committee, and then there was an appointment of elders again um, a few years later. And so this process of having a congregation and an eldership is fully scriptural and very much a part of this congregation. So we as a congregation said, we need somebody to help us. We don't have the time to do it all the time. And so what do we do? We hire people. And we have Kelly and Jonathan and and, uh, Dustin and Hope and in the past other different roles sometimes of people who we pay to bless us with the things that they've started and the things that they do. And we are extremely fortunate as a congregation to fully support our staff. Many congregations can't afford to do that. And that is a great blessing that we've been able to do. But then we also appoint not official roles, not in a sense of scripture, but we need people to run these things. Every year, every week, we take a collection. Church finances are a pretty important part of what we do as a church. Who's going to count the money? Who's going to take care of it? And if we didn't have Jack Mooney there doing that all the time, we would be stuck. We need to have somebody of high integrity to take care of our finances. But we've also got operations. Who runs the building? Who changes the light bulbs? Who pays the utilities? Who makes sure everything is insured and take care of things like that? Building maintenance included in that. There's a personnel committee. Who, who do you think talks to the staff? Make sure that they are paid. Make sure that their insurances are in place. Make sure their taxes are taken care of. We have a personnel committee. Who puts the worship on every Sunday morning? There's a worship committee that meets during the week to bring about our worship services. And there are church finances, as I've already spoken. Then we have a ministry coordination team, about which you may or may not be aware, but we'd look at all the prime areas of what we do, and we have a minister ministry team looking over that. Sunday school, as you'll see, is a huge responsibility, and Linda and Robin oversee that. Missions is Ron Bailey, Glenn Davis in the sound room, Mike Coglin, the life groups. Chris Bailey, operations, she oversees all that area. Kelly sits there on staff as staff representative. There's an elder there, and Larry and, and Joanne of Benevolence. So all of that is coordinating announcements that you hear, but all of this is going on in the background. Volunteers, servants, of what we do. What about assemblies? Who makes sure all the papers are in the pews orderly, how there's Bibles available and that there's pencils available, and that things are clean and taken care of? We've got instrumental service in the first service, an a cappella second service, youth worship, all that go on each Sunday. Well, that takes worship planning. It takes greeters at the front door, ushers, and again, the sound room all being organized so we function as a fairly small group of about 300 people. What else do we do? We have Sunday classes. We've got this class going on right now, adult Sunday morning, young adults, ladies' Bible, men's class, Christian basics periodically gets held. Then you've got Sunday school classes. Look at all these things going on. They're just tucked away and they keep out of our way, fortunately, some of the time and keep it all quiet in here. But consider the manpower it takes to run eight classes outside of the adult classes. And so then we have life groups. 
overseen by Mike Coglin, but led by young adults of Dustin, Miles, Jim and Daryl, Trevor, Steve on the, on the west side, and then uh, Ryan Nickel and Kelly and Michael, Francis and Manor, and there's a Spanish ministry going on. All happening during the week. All by, on a volunteer basis. None of them get paid. Have you, are you taking a salary from your life group? No, no, no budget for that one. And then look at the age-related groups. So that flows out of the other groups. There's Spark, which is one of the youth um, programs. And there's the seniors, although we don't have much of a senior program right now. If anybody wants to volunteer, it used to be that there have been people in our congregation who have taken people on for drives or had lunches together and doing different things. And I think there are still some things in an ad hoc basis. And then you get Ignite. And if you wonder what Dustin does around here, well, just take a look at what his role covers. You've got Operation Backpack, Fire and Ice, Emerge, Spring Mission Trip, Overseas Mission Trip, Pine Lake, Pippa, which is another uh, multi-congregation meeting, I believe it's described as, Campouts, Farside Cafes, Garage Sales, all come under Ignite. All done on a volunteer basis, except for the minister. Then we've got various ministries that we have people overseeing. Mums and Tuts, Connection Ministry, Feeding the Hungry, Baseball, Friends Speak, Ladies Knit and Social, Benevolence, Brown Bag Lunches, Memory Verse Challenge, Welcome Lunches, all fulfilled on a voluntary basis of what they do. And then we have special events, which goes to, <laughs> look at them, Vacation Bible School, Card Nights, Family Camps, Christmas Hampers, Coffee and Muffin Potlucks, Serve Day, Miscellaneous Potlucks, Stampede Breakfast, Spring Picnic, Fishing Days, Men's retreat, clothing giveaway, ladies' brunch, ladies' retreat. And I know the worst thing for a speaker to do is to stand and read their slide. And I don't mean to be doing that to you. I just want to capture the size of this. All going on within the Calgary Church of Christ as it exists. And lastly, we have support of our missionaries. And we support people, if you don't know, if you're visiting us, we support people on Honduras, Ukraine, Lloydminster, Zambia, India, Estonia, Zimbabwe. Plug for next week. We're going to have Jay Dan here who will be speaking to us. He's the, he and his wife um, are people we've supported for years in the Ukraine. It comes through every year. But this all supported from this congregation. So, it begs the question again to ask. Well, no, I want to get one. This one. So what can I do? Are you fitted in the best role? If you're already involved in ministries, are you in the best role for you? Or you, were you recruited and didn't have a good excuse quick enough at your lips and you're now doing it for the last five years and you don't feel qualified to be doing it? Are you qualified? Are you fulfilling your desire to God through Jesus? That you want to do it. People, I'm at an age now, and some of you too, and I find that the word retirement is so much on my colleagues' lips. Like, you hardly go to a meeting anytime and people, with a group of people like me and the word retirement doesn't come up somewhere. But I was thinking, 
Why retire? Like, what, what is this idea of retirement? What if you, I mean, Bill, Bill's there. I mean, Bill, I, without putting you on a spot, how old are you? 80, 83 years old. How old is Warren Buffett? How old is Warren Buffett? Yeah, he's mid-80s. I think he might be 86, but, but you know, he's in his 80s. You may not have quite as much money as Warren Buffett. Bill still works. No, he doesn't. He's not doing 40 hours a week, 50 hours a year. Uh, 50. You've got it. But the point is, but he still works. He's got a mindset to work. And, and I think we've got to ask ourselves, what is this idea? Do we retire from church as well? Some of us might be entering our best lives, the lives we can give the most to. And if you're not yet there, if you're like in your 50s, even 40s, and you're sort of thinking, can't wait to get to retirement, got to save enough, get there. Why? For what? You know the only step after retirement? Do you know what that is? That's right. They're just going to peg you out. And we need to ask ourselves this. Maybe, and people say now that, that, that there's no reason, that you, we, we will see many people in our generation live to 100. Individually, we may not. But the health of the, of the Western world, in Canada especially, is living at a very high rate. What are you going to do with it? Your very best time may be now. What am I going to do? What can we do? And so if you find yourself in this position, we may go and pick another apple. We might ask ourselves and say, this is something to talk to God about. Now, I, I tend to resist, and forgive me, Kelly, this is going to sound heretical, uh, especially after all that you've been preaching on this last week. But, but I, I, I worry somewhat about the way we talk about prayer um, casually. It's, we'll pray about it. And, and so we've, we've covered all the bases by just saying, well, I'll pray for you, you pray for me, we've covered all the bases. And, and I think that the Christian society, I don't mean us necessarily as a congregation, in fact, I don't mean that as a con- this congregation, because people do pray for people individually. But praying is one thing. But I think the evangelical world has tended to say, oh, we'll pray about it, praying, 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 and they don't do anything else about it. And that's a bit of a resistance. But I, in every aspect of our lives, we need to ponder to talk to God. I mean, this is what it's all about. This is about God. And, and isn't it appropriate to just sit down? And you may not even think of yourself as praying, but I might say, well, Lord, I believe in you. I, I don't understand. And truly, you know, I said to Kelly last week, you know, as an elder of the congregation, people sort of think you have the answers. I don't, have, I don't even have the questions to ask, let alone the answers. But I believe in Jesus. I believe in Genesis 1.1. And on that foundation, whether Genesis 1.1 occurred in six days or six years or 6,000 years or six million years, frankly, doesn't change what's going to happen to me on the day of my death. And Jesus, who, who really grasps Jesus? It's, it's unfathomable what God has done for us. And so we may sit in a field looking up into the skies and think, God, you, 
Even this you made. Everything you made. Look at the moon yesterday. The moon was pretty yesterday. God made that. Hung it in the sky. Sun rose this morning. God hangs it in the sky. Controls it. Never changes. Every 24 hours. So maybe just talk to the being that made you. Just say, is there anything? Can you help me, Lord? Is there anything here that I can do about this? Because I desire to... I, I believe in Jesus and I, I want to do something. I, I want to demonstrate my love for you. So we can ask God for help. We also, we might want to speak to one of the ministers or one of the elders or anybody who you respect and who you think could say, you know, I want to do something in my life. I, I, I want to do more than what I am. You might say that to your partner. If you're in a marriage relationship, you know, you, it's something, you know, I, I want to demonstrate my love to you more. What, what do you think your partner would say to you? I don't know. Ask him. But it's this idea of, of speaking to somebody that can give you advice. We don't often get through this world all on our own. Another thing you can do is this. You can take a spiritual gift survey. Um, my guess is that in a group as big as this, I mean, many of you would have taken spiritual gift surveys. Um, not a bad thing to do it again. You can keep doing it. You know, maybe the Lord is leading you. I think I mentioned this last year, but I, I would say at my age now, the, it would be very useful to do a spiritual gift survey to say, are there gifts that you haven't, that are now coming to fruition that weren't there 10 years ago? And so our very giftedness, it, we, some of it could be kind of not yet germinated, wasn't ready yet. Maybe the best is yet to come. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should become a song leader or something like that if you don't feel compelled to do it. But listen to your heart as you seek to minister Taking a spiritual gift survey, Kelly can tell you where to find them. I can tell you where to find them. Um, interestingly, your whole leadership group this summer, um, ministers, elders, and wives, all took spiritual gift surveys this summer. Every one of us did a spiritual gift survey. And so we are not saying to the church, you do it because we think you need it. Not We don't need it anymore. We needed to find out for ourselves just what we're doing. What else can we do? Well, we can be a risk taker not a, and a volunteer. It just takes a chance. And, and my experience is that often people's giftedness in ministry is not what they're good at. Ponder. We tend to think, I'm good at this, therefore... This is what I should be doing. But the trouble is with that, and, and absolutely that's fine. That, I mean, it's not, uh, please, no, I'm not throwing that out. But the trouble is I tend to approach it with arrogance and pride. You see, I'm good at this. Choose me. I'll show you how it should be done. But when we are called to a ministry that we don't feel good at, but we deeply desire, then we approach it with a humility and a spirit of learning. Well, how much fun is it? To, I mean, some of you probably have been married to somebody that comes in and says, want to see a good husband? Just look at me. 
You know, you, you're lucky that you, you, you're really, really fortunate that I was still available. And, you know, we can't do that. Let's be risk takers and volunteer. And lastly, don't wait for that dislocating shoulder tap. Be a volunteer. It's, it, it, it's just sad the number of times that we say, well, we need to go and shoulder tap a couple of people. We need to go searching. And sometimes you do. Sometimes one has to ask around. Have you ever thought of doing this or doing that? That's one thing. But this idea that, well, we asked for volunteers. We got two. We need ten. Let's go and shoulder tap a few people. How often, how often, Kelly, do you put out a call for ten people and get twenty? That you've got to turn them away. Guys, we're sorry. Do you remember the... <laughs> free money. Free... So, so, so then what's the, what's the contemporary hook for getting volunteers to a meeting? What's, what's the contemporary hook? Food, food, food and money. That's right, food and money. If we feed them money, they'll feel obligated to come. We put them under a, an obligation. Don't wait for the shoulder tap. Ponder these things. Don't go and do it this morning, run this week. My prayer is that these thoughts will come back to you and say, I need to think about this. You know, am I a servant of the Lord? I, do, you think that, do you think that Jesus was the runt son of God? I mean, it says that Jesus is God's only son. But if he wasn't, Do you think he would have pulled the short straw? Go down there. Live amongst them. Hang on a cross. I don't think so. I don't think God needed to do any more than... I mean, what do we know about the relationship between God and Jesus, truly? But Jesus came. And he came as a servant. So... With that in mind, we seek to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ, one person at a time, which is the mission of this congregation. And next week, we're going to take that, and we're going to take it literally, because we're going to talk about reaching to the world. And that's reaching to the world. You know, I tend to see this as being the world. Isn't this a little bit too big a picture? Is it too big to be biting off? Don't think of the world as that. The world is right outside that door. It's every person you met this week. It's whomever. We just need to make sure that we're doing part. And next week we're going to be talking about the core principle, the expansion and growth of the kingdom. With that, I am grateful for your attention. Would you pray with me? We'll close. Dear God in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit within us. Father, we come before you this morning grateful for the privilege of thought, grateful for the privilege of all the things that you have shared with us through others who have taught us, led us, encouraged us. Your Spirit just abounds. And we thank you. And Father, we, we desire to show our love for you. We, we want to love you. 
even though we understand so little. And we desire to serve you and to live our lives before you. And we just pray that you would guide us, grant us wisdom and clarity and knowledge, that we may live our lives and be completely worn out when we die. We are done. We haven't skated towards the kingdom. We just thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention.